This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. Well, welcome. I am Dr. Stephanie Loader, a veterinarian from Alanco, and I am joined today by Dr. Richard Meadows. We are here with Fear Free for a conversation on immunology. Dr. Meadows literally grew up in mixed animal veterinary clinic in the panhandle of Texas. He graduated from veterinary school over 40 years ago, and in that time has worked in dairy practice, done relief work, and owned a small animal practice for 10 years. During that time, he became board certified in canine and feline medicine and surgery. And it is if that isn't enough, there is more. After selling his practice, he completed a residency in clinical pathology and an NIH-sponsored postdoctoral fellowship in inflammatory pathology in a human medical dental school. And for the past 23 years, he's been the section leader for the small animal primary care, dentistry, dermatology, and shelter medicine program at the University of Missouri's College of Veterinary Medicine. When he's not working, he enjoys spending time with his four grandchildren, riding his Honda Goldwing motorcycle, and being outdoors. Wow, that's impressive. So the Texas Panhandle, small world, because my husband has some family there as well. And that's a very cool motorcycle, but I digress. (laughs) There are so many parts of veterinary medicine that you've touched during your time in practice. I'm sure you have plenty of stories you can share, but we're here again today with Fear Free for a conversation on immunology. So let's get going. Since we're talking about immunology or the study of the immune system and our pet's way to protect themselves from infection, What do you, Dr. Meadows, see as general risk factors for infectious disease in our dogs and cats? Well, interestingly enough, you know, dogs and to to a different extent, cats, they're are are very social animals and and so they need socialization. They need contact with with people. They need contact with with um, you know, some of their own kind and and particularly dogs, when you take them for, as an example, when you, when you take your dog for a walk, which is, which is a good idea. The, the veterinarian I grew up around used to say, take your dog for a walk. It's good for both ends of that leash. And, and it's true, you know? And so, but when, when I, when I'm doing that, my wife and I are doing that with our dog, we see people stopping and, and chatting and the dogs are kind of social uh, icebreakers and the dogs are sniffing each other, you know, and, and, and everyone's thinking, Oh, isn't that cute? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that was an infectious disease, uh, an opportunity for infectious disease exchange. Because, Absolutely. You, you know, you don't know, <laughs> they, they, they get intimate with each other in a hurry. And, um, so that always sends shivers up my spine just a little bit to, to watch that. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's very much, a thing these days for doggy daycare and doggy gate day camps and taking your dog to the to the supply pet food supply store and, and all those things and and again those are uh, those are chances for them to get exposed to lord knows what their social lives are that risk are a big risk factor absolutely i mean and you know and if they're if they're not socialized that's a behavioral risk factor that can wind them up in a shelter somewhere or something. So socialization is an absolute must. And I'm not trying to dissuade that. I'm I'm just saying that the reality is you need to have your pets protected going into that. 
Okay, perfect. That's really good information to know. So as we go there, you know, what types of infectious disease do you find to be particularly devastating for our dogs and cats now? Like, what do well, we need to protect them against? For dogs, the, the big three is, is canine distemper, uh, which is just a devastating disease. And canine parvo, which has, you know, came out about the same time I did it. Uh, parvo uh, started existing in, in dogs at the same time I was in vet school. And, and, and it's still a very devastating disease. It's not as deadly as it used to be, but, but it's still not something you want your, your dog to have at all. Um, because they could they could easily die despite good care, and then leptospirosis. Um, leptospirosis is a big one too because not only can your dog get it from its own fenced-in backyard where the raccoon pooped in your yard in the middle of the night or whatever, and you never saw them because they're nocturnal animals. Um, they can get it and and cause kidney you know kidney failure, liver failure, all those kinds of things, but insult to injury, they can give it to you potentially. So it's, it's, you know, it's transmitted from animals to people, which is the term for that zoonotic. So those are the three big ones that come to mind for me because they're all potentially fatal on the dog side. On the cat side, uh, feline leukemia is, is a, is a big one to me because it again is a devastating, quite potentially fatal disease that, um, the vaccine rates for in America are just unacceptably low. So many, many cats are not adequately protected for that, despite the fact that there's been good vaccine for it for decades. So we certainly don't want to risk exposing our pets to those diseases. They definitely sound awful, right? right. And you mentioned vaccination. So why is vaccination so important for prevention of these diseases? And how do they provide that protection? Well, you know, something that, that, that I always like to tell people when I get a chance, I can get them stopped or whatever, is that the, the World Health Organization, a very um, conservative in terms of looking at what's provable, what's fact, um, they said in 2019, they or before that, they said the three public health interventions that had the greatest impact on global health, and they're talking about animal and human health, are clean water vaccines and education all right and and those vaccines and education go hand in hand which we can talk about more as we go along but in 2019 before the beginning of the pandemic the world health organization also declared vaccine hesitancy one of the 10 top 10 global health risks so so it's gotten better i mean it's gotten worse since then not better so so it's in in it and it just it just makes me sad to know that we have safe and efficacious and relatively inexpensive, very inexpensive compared to human vaccines to to deal with all of those drugs we just talked about and more. They're, they're, yeah. they're readily available. Right. So, you know, you mentioned that and you mentioned how, you know, globally there is a bit less of or more of a risk for inefficient, ineffective, i.e. not enough vaccinations being going on. So right. you've talked a little bit about how the, they protect against the diseases, but as you mentioned, many people don't have positive associations with getting vaccinations or blood draws for themselves right. and often will associate vaccinating their pets with their own feelings about those needle sticks, right? Correct. So 
what have you found as reasons why some owners are reluctant to vaccinate their dogs and cats? Well, the, the world is just awash with misinformation, just egregiously wrong information. Um, and it and it can be innocently spread or some people are just just the, the simple fact is some people are just bad actors and they and they're 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 maliciously spreading bad information. Um, I, I can't explain to you why that is because I don't understand. But um, but it's out there. Nonetheless, there's lots of things I don't understand, but I observe them. And, you know, that's one of the big things about hesitation is that they the, these people, well-meaning people, um just they don't understand and they've and they've heard things that sound on the surface believable and scary but you know i would tell you that that the risk to your dog or your cat from getting vaccinated and we have specific numbers we can talk about that in big big scientifically done published studies but but the the, the bottom line is for your dog to get in a a dog or cat to, if you will, get into a vaccine wreck or have harm from the vaccine is infinitesimally low. It's it's much less, it, it's, it's a much less risk than you driving them to the veterinary clinic to get them vaccinated. That's more risky than having them vaccinated, particularly if you live in a town with bad traffic or whatever. And so, so you need to think about, you know, what are the realistic um, problems? And, and, and the vaccine reactions that do happen, the vast majority of them on the human and the veterinary side, the vast majority of vaccine reactions that do happen are aching and chilling for a while. And I like to tell my clients that every 10 years I get my tetanus vaccine, but I usually get it on a day when I'm off. Uh, because I know I'm going to get that vaccine at nine o'clock in the morning or something as early as I can. And by two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, I'm probably going to be in bed under the covers, shivering and shaking and hurting, aching. Well, you know, that's and I don't look forward to that. But what I know from an immunologic standpoint is that one of the points of vaccine, human or veterinary vaccines, is to get the attention of the immune system. And so I'm comforted by the fact that I know that I'm probably building good immunity to tetanus. And I've seen some horses die of tetanus and it is a wicked way to go. So uh, I don't want tetanus. I don't, you know, I don't look forward to the vaccine, but it's, but it's, you know, eight to 12 hours of feeling cruppy, I mean, cruddy and, and, uh, and then I'm done, you know, so I'm it, good for another yeah. So it sounds like some um, responses from our immune system after vaccination are really to be expected, but also really tell us that our immune system is doing what we want it to do, right? Correct. But what, what are some ways that pet owners can decrease their risks for vaccine reactions in general that would be more concerning to them? And how might we, you know, with maybe Elanco's vaccine portfolio mm -hmm. be able to provide that positive vaccine experience for those dogs and cats. I'm glad you asked that because one of the things that, that has been shown very nicely and in, in a, a very respected study done a number of years ago by a bunch of veterinarians and that are also protein chemists over in Tokyo, that, that they looked at what, and, and this was in dog vaccine, the, um, 
they they took ten dogs that were known severe vaccine reaction dogs and and they and they did all their protein chemical analyses and stuff their immunologic these are very sophisticated veterinarians in a very great facility and and they looked at what was causing what was in that vaccine what in that vaccine was causing the reaction and what they found is that in in eight of them it was it was non-native protein so not dog protein not cat protein that was causing the reaction not the antigens not the disease um, so not the canine distemper antigen, not the canine parvo antigen, not the leptospirosis antigen, that what those weren't causing the problems. What was causing the problems is that that foreign protein. And so that immediately begs the question for a lot of people, what's protein doing? What's foreign protein doing in there? Well, it's in minute amounts, but it has to be there and it's in there in almost all vaccines to stabilize the vaccines enough to keep them good long enough to get them in your system they would not be stable without some of those things so it's a very hard nut to crack how to get some of those things out of there and um um and speaking of elanco i mean one of the beautiful things about elanco is they years ago now so it's a very well established system they've they uh manufactured a way to decrease the volume in half which means that there should be less foreign proteins in there less other stuff that's not related to the disease and uh, uh and so that in, in my mind is logically you don't have to be an immunologist or a scientist to know that you know, less of stuff that you might react to is a good thing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the pure fill technology does remove those unwanted proteins mm -hmm. and allows for that lower volume, which also in addition seems to make the process of vaccination for our dogs and cats quicker and simpler and increases their comfort. Right. Right. So, less, less volume going under the skin. Less volume. And I know that we haven't really talked about it yet, but it's something that I've heard that some pet owners are worried about is just the anxiety and the stress on their pets when Absolutely. they come into the clinic. So yes. what are some ways that we can decrease those things when coming into the clinic for vaccinations? Well, one of the things is for the for the for the veterinary and the veterinary staff and the clients nowadays, courtesy of Fear Free and, and many other sources, but Fear Free's outstanding source of of information for 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 the for the clinic and the and the owners about all the all the steps you can take. I mean, in a nutshell, the way I like to think about it is if that dog or that cat learns that that practice is a place where they get positive attention they get tasty treats they get they 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 smell people that they recognize the smell of and and uh, because smell is such a, a much more important issue for them than it is for us and and uh, uh and so it's familiar and it's expected to be positive and and, and like I, you know, like I like to tell my students, I mean, you can, the old saying, you, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Well, they, they love that positive attention. So, so if they, you know, if they don't think that the veterinary clinic is some kind of 
crazy abuse center that for reasons they don't understand their their owners take them to but instead another opportunity to socialize with some people they know and like and get treats that's great uh for those with more severe anxieties there are certainly medications to help with that and 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 there are non-drug things like like some of the pheromone type uh, products that that are out there pheromones for for those who are not aware are these simple little chemicals that that are how moths find each other how ants follow a trail how but but dogs and cats and horses and pigs and supposedly not people but uh, that's another subject for another day <laughs> um, um, sense these things and and so for instance on the dog side they found one that was a, a this small little chemical that was isolated close to the mammary glands on lactating female dogs that is kind of a chill factor for dogs. I mean, from, huh. from the time they are born until they die. So it's, it's meant for puppies when they're still blind to help them find where the spigot is, but, but it, but it's some, it's a feel good, uh, chemical for them. And so it's drug free. Right. It's, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's side effect free, excuse me. And, and uh, natural for those people that like really natural stuff, there's nothing more natural than this. And, and so there are non-drug ways to do that too. But for, again, for the ones that are really severe, there are, there are drugs that, that can help with that, you know, and, and um, that's something that clients need to talk to their own, to their veterinarians about for, for their own pets. That certainly sounds awesome. Something for our pet and dog owners out there to keep in mind. There are definitely ways to decrease that stress and anxiety if your pets are experiencing it. I know one other thing that has been brought up is just, you know, there's so many vaccines when they are puppies and kittens, just like when we're human mm -hmm. children, there's so many of them. You know, why, why so many pokes and what can we do to reduce those in our puppies and kittens to make it a better, more comfortable experience. Right. Well, one of the things from an, this is this is a discussion about immunology, and so one of the things that that people need to understand, and it's a complicated thing, is that uh, what protects us against diseases for the most part are antibodies, and um, um, there's there's other parts of the immune system that are probably beyond the scope of this, but but in large part, antibodies are what vaccines are inducing. Um, there's there's other vaccines that work in additional ways in addition to antibiotics, but I mean antibodies, but but um, um, the antibodies that they get from their mother with that first milk, the colostrum, and hopefully they got colostrum from their mother, gives them some amazing protection. It's antibody-based protection, but gives them amazing antibody protection for oh six weeks to sixteen weeks or something. Uh, depends upon the dog. Uh, depends upon the mother how much she protection she gave them and how re how receptive their body is to it and lots and lots of things. But but in general, that maternal antibody protection that colostrum prevents vaccines from working at all at first and then completely as time goes on so in every individual is different so at what point are those is that maternal antibody override it's called where the where the where the, the mother's antibody protection keeps the vaccines from working fully 
at what point does that go away and allow the vaccines to start building good immunity? That that varies dramatically. I always equate that to, you know, the question, when do men start to shave? Well, <laughs> it varies dramatically, but it's it's not right. It's just, I mean, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And, and so we don't know that without sophisticated studies that have their own problems that cost a lot more than the vaccines, um, we can't really determine in, in most animals. So, so what, what I want to do in my own personal practice is, is I, I like to tell people I like to make an A in prevention. You know, our found, one of our founding fathers said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So, right. so if you can prevent that disease rather than trying to be the hero and pull them uh, literally out of the grave with canine parvo. Well, that's more humane. It's, it's more economic. It's, it's just better in every way I could conceive of. Right. And so, but at what point are they adequately protected? Well, we know that essentially all of them are adequately protected by 18 to 20 weeks. Um, and um, some of them are protected at, 12 weeks of age beautifully. Some of them are not protected adequately until 18 to 20 weeks of age. So it, so it takes a series. And for instance, one of the devastating things that I've seen, unfortunately, too many times is with canine distemper. If the animals have a partial immunity to canine distemper because they've gotten one vaccine or two vaccines and it keeps them from dying of canine distemper, it may not prevent them from getting brain damage from canine distemper without going through all the cold looking, you know, dogs with canine distemper a lot of times, a lot of times look like they have a cold, uh, snotty nose and mattery eyes and all that. They may skip all of that stuff and just go straight to brain damage uh, when they had a partial immunity. Um, and and so you want to avoid that at all costs because, yes, they will live, but what's their quality of life going forward? So it takes a series to make sure you've, you know, you've prevented the preventable. Gotcha. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is a bit of a mystery because every individual puppy and kitten are going to be different, even amongst that one single litter in how absolutely. responsive they are and how yeah. much protection they got from their mother, Right. Right. Okay. And, you know, and, and everybody knows that two puppies out of a litter can can even have the same. So they can both be black labs or whatever and have completely different personalities and and all that stuff. They're individuals, you know, they're Absolutely. not they're not stamped with Absolutely. potential. So you know? one thing um, I guess from that, there's a lot of pokes. There's a lot of needle sticks in there just to make sure we get for lifelong mm -hmm. protection for our mm -hmm. puppies and kittens. Combination vaccines right. certainly help reduce that in terms of numbers, right? Yes, And correct. half mil volume, that can certainly reduce some of the stress and anxiety in those needle sticks when you have to get them. Correct. And one of the things that, that bears repeating, I, I think, is that what we were just talking about before, it's not the number of disease antigens in the vaccine that cause the problem typically. It's those other right. things that are hard to get out of there. I mean, the the the, med, the vaccine manufacturers don't stick in things that could potentially cause some harm because they want to. They they put them in in bare minimum amounts to make sure the vaccine works. And and so some people, it's a common myth 
uh, misperception that, you know, well, that seven in one vaccine is going to be a lot harder on, on my dog than a two, two in one. That's just not true. Um, there's, there's no science to indicate that very well. And so, so, you know, if you can limit the, the total quantity of the, of the volume and get the, the antigens you need in there, that in my mind is the way to go. Awesome. That is such great information, Dr. Meadows, right? Well, it also looks like our time today is winding down a bit. We are so glad that you out there could join us today with Dr. Meadows. And when you share your vast knowledge of vaccines and immunology with us, I think we've learned a lot. Thank you so much for all these details. I am sure knowing these things helps to explain a lot for our dog and cat owners out there. But maybe we'll come back another day and talk about your motorcycle travels. <laughs> I certainly would love to hear about those. Well, we'd have on, to have video because I'll have to show on you. On video? Awesome. That would be great. <laughs> so on behalf of Fear Free and Alenco, I wish you good day. Um, I hope that the information we've shared today will help you to better understand immunology, vaccines, and how to give your dog or cat a positive vaccine experience in the future. To find a fear-free certified vet in your area and also find more information about fear-free clinics, you can visit the fear-free website at fearfreepets.com. Have a great day. See you later. Bye.